Welcome to season six. Thank you so much for being here. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest reached out to me to have a conversation for my podcast, and I was delighted to hear from him. He was most engaging from the start via an email. His name is Edward DeGange. He is an adoptee and a published author. His memoir is titled, The Gift Best Given, a story of adoption, search, discovery, and reunion set against the backdrop of the glamorous ice skating shows of the 1940s. Because I love his beautiful website, I'm going to read directly from it to describe a part of his journey. Edward DeGange was adopted at birth in New York City. As an only child, he made no effort to explore his heredity until the age of 67. A visit to a cemetery where members of his adoptive mother's family were buried stirred his interest. Over the past three years, through extensive archival research and DNA testing, Ed has peeled back the layers of his once unknown family. Set in the 1940s, as America emerged from the Great Depression and went to war, Ed's book, The Gift Best Given, recounts the search for his family and tells the story of a young woman's courage as she overcame obstacles to achieve her dreams. Allow me to introduce to you someone who explored more to his identity later in life and would learn that it was one of the best decisions he could have made. He is a perfect example that it is never too late unless you don't start now. Hi, Edward. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jennifer. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. I'm really delighted to get the chance to talk to you. I'm not really even sure where I want to start because there's so much I want to cover. But what comes to mind right now is your website, which I think is so impressive. So I looked on there this morning, and I was kind of mesmerized by the picture of your birth mom with the uh, five other ladies. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a um, pretty special picture. They're beautiful. Your birth yeah, mom it was is a very special picture. And I honestly, that newspaper clipping came from the very bottom of a carton of memorabilia that somebody gave me that was my mother's. And that was really her first threat or my first touch with what her story was. Mm. And I like what you write or wrote 
Like a jigsaw puzzle, every story is made up of pieces, big ones, smaller ones, pieces not easily found. It was one piece after another, and I thought, okay, well, I found something out, but what does it really tell me? And it doesn't tell you anything until you, until you find the next piece. And as they all snapped together, you know, and, and they became more difficult as the, as the story went on. But they did come, and you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, there was a, there was a pretty complete picture of, of my mother's situation as well as 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 my origins. Yeah, I love the title of your book, "The Gift Best Given: A Story of Adoption, Search, Discovery, and Reunion," set against the backdrop of the glamorous ice skating shows of the 1940s. So, I want to congratulate you on writing and publishing your memoir. Oh, well, thank you so much. It was, it was something which was not intended. I believe I started the book by saying I, I really never thought there was going to be a story, and then certainly I never thought there would be a book. That was not the intention, but uh, the more I discovered, the more I thought there was to write about, and and suddenly I was sitting there with hundreds of pages of notes and and scribbles, and it, it all came together with time. And you published it in 2020. That, that was a pretty uh, overwhelming year for all Yes, all it us. was. You know, it, it came to me. It was published in May of 2020, and there was a decision. I was told, well, all this COVID stuff will be op- over by September, so why don't you wait? And something told me maybe COVID would not be over by September of 2020. Right. And, and certainly it was not. And I, I just plotted ahead, and you know, I, I don't think it, it hurt. I, you know, I think it just would have delayed. Mm-hmm. Well, I started your book. I haven't finished it, and each time, like each, each paragraph I'm reading, it's rich with description. You're such a talented writer. Well, thank you. I, I love description. I, you know, <laughs> and, and setting the place where things took place. Yeah. Uh, my birth mother came from New York City. I grew up in New York City, so certainly I've got a a very good sense for you know for that place and and the era she came from. Yeah, the other places, some of them we've visited, some of them we've not. But there was a lot of research that went into what those what those scenes would be like at the at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna go back just a little bit when we talked prior to now and you had shared with me that you had listened to a couple of episodes of this mm-hmm. podcast yes. and one was Julie from season four episode 66 and the other was Paige uh, Paige Strickland Julie Weatherby and Paige's episode 63 and one of the things that you shared with me is that a part of their story resonated with you and I know Julie is a really good friend of mine, and I told her, I shared that with her, that she listened to her episode. She, too, searched at a, an older age. And why don't we start there? You decide to search in your late 60s, and I think, like, for me, I started in my late 40s, which I thought was late, too. But there's something about starting later that sometimes we, we wonder, did we wait too late? And I thought about a book 
that I've read many years ago. It's called It's Only Too Late If You Don't Start Now. And I really wanted to read something. And then I want you to get into why you think you waited so late. Is that okay? Sure it is. I'd love to hear what you have to read. Yeah. So the author, Barbara Sher, or Sher, I'm not sure how she pronounced it. She says, but no matter which direction you take from now on, nothing you've done was wasted. Every path you've chosen until now, even the mistakes, will be so useful in the future that one day it will almost look like directed research. Once the light falls on how you came to this place in your life, you'll understand far better where you are and what to do next. Because all these conflicts signal your entrance into a new era of your life. For the first time, you can and must pay attention to what you're doing. This is your second life. This one counts. And that paragraph resonated with me in my journey. And so maybe you can share however much and from wherever you want to start about how you decided to get in your late 60s and find out more answers to your questions. Yeah, that was a lovely passage. I think think that's wonderful. I, I did begin my search as I was approaching my 70th birthday. And my adoption was privately arranged, and I was adopted at the time of my birth. And I went to wonderful adoptive parents, and uh, never felt that it could have been loved any better by any parents, whether they were adoptive or natural. And I had very little inclination to go looking for who my birth mother might have been. And I could tell you I had virtually no yeah, no real inclination to find out who my father was been. He was just not even a passing thought most of the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because I had such a good childhood, you know, those the people who adopted me were my parents. They were the only people I ever knew. There was no interruption. At a day old, they came to the hospital and they took me home. So I never had the the conflicts of foster care or being placed, waiting for parents. Again, they were the only people I knew. So other than the occasional thought of, gee, I wonder who my birth mother might have been, I just went on my life. And my adoptive parents gave me a very, very strong sense of self. You know, I was my own person. I was not theirs. I was not anybody else's. You know, it it was my life to pursue. What really kicked me into gear finally searching was we were up in New Jersey, in February of 2017 and my wife's parents had come to live with us unfortunately six months earlier her mom passed away six months later her dad passed away so we were up in New Jersey to to inter their remains and we went to another cemetery nearby where my adoptive mother's family had been had been put to rest and we're standing over my adoptive mother's parents' gravestone. And it just kind of hit me like, you know, this is really, from an academic level or just a, you know, curiosity level, I'd like to know more about where they came from. And when we get back to, to North Carolina, I, I went to our local library and, you know, I got onto Ancestry.com. And at that time, boy, they were advertising like crazy and, and they still are. And not looking for my, my natural parents, but for you know, history of my, 
my adoptive family, I started looking and I was, I was kind of surprised by how easily information came to me. And when that took place, it just sort of clicked that if it's this easy, then maybe all this waiting that I've done is something that might be rewarded by some more research. And as I said, I was, you know, I was adopted via private arrangement. And there was a piece of paper that I had that I hadn't looked at in years and years, which in fact was my adoption decree. Mm. And it had my adoptive parents' names on it. It had their attorney on it. And it had the name of a woman who I didn't recognize. And as I became curious about this, yeah, it dawned, it didn't dawn on me. I realized almost immediately that, you know, this must have been the woman who placed me for adoption. And so I got that name. I went back to the library and, and punched it in. And that's where it all began. Yeah, I look forward to reading the story you wrote and what you found. And I have to tell you, I want to just pause a minute and tell you that I had a chance to listen to you and Lanice Antoine, mm-hmm. Antoine Shelley, on when they were young, Amplifying yes. Voices of Adoptees. It was a really wonderful episode. And one of the things I remember is the courage, your conversation with her about the courage piece in in writing your story. Do you want to talk a little bit about moving through the fear? Because I know it, it's a big deal to write and publish. Well, sure. You know, I think the the search itself can be as personal or as public as you'd like it to be. So as I searched, you know, I shared what I found with my wife and I had a, a very good friend who had, you know, a couple of times a week would have coffee with in the morning and I'd, I'd sort of tell him what my discoveries had been. And he was the one who kept on saying, you really need to write a book because this was more than just your, you know, your average or your ordinary adoption story, I think, just because of who my birth mother was. So I did. I started putting things to paper. It came in two pieces. The first was the the memoir piece of step by step. What was my searching like? And then the other pieces were all about what did I discover about my birth mother? And you know, when it comes down to courage, it's at some point you are taking a story that you've discovered, putting it to paper and putting it out in the world and and subjecting yourself to other people's judgment, I suppose, mm-hmm. and other people saying, okay, we knew this story and you got it right or you got it wrong. And, you know, and the interesting part was, yeah, there were some people I reached out to about it for confirmation who, for whatever their reason might have been, didn't want to talk about it. And so I had to make my best estimation of what took place and and what might have been said. And when all was said and done, it was published, they came back and said, you hit it right on the head. <laughs> you know, so that was a, that was very, very gratifying. Yeah. How does it feel to be on the other side of writing your memoir? It, it's a great thing. You know, it's a wonderful experience to look back on. It's, it's wonderful to, to see the level of acceptance that people have had. And again, I realize it's not, you know, it's not the story that many people tell. You know, mine, I think, is a, a much more rewarding and happy story than, unfortunately, uh, some others might tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it gives me the opportunity to go out and talk about the story and 
we were at a local senior center yesterday and I got to talk about the book and I actually showed a movie that my mother appeared in and in 1944 as an extra. She was 18 years old at that time. And people are mesmerized by it. It gives an opportunity to talk about not only my own accomplishments and my discoveries, but also to talk about adoption and you know, and, and the, the various ways it's looked at by you know, by the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had a great childhood, as I did. My adoptive parents were were really good parents, great parents. And and so I'm guessing that you really weren't better connected, or I'm going to say you're better connected to the adoption community now. Would you say that you, like, really weren't, like, around other adoptees or... Or just what you know, was your experience? Yeah. Interestingly, I grew up around some adoptees, but all of them were having the same kind of lives I did, life that I did, mm-hmm. and nobody identified as an adoptee. They were their their adoptive parents' children, right? And it was just yeah, you know, this adoption was a part of us. It was not who we were, right? You know, if that makes sense. All it was was one element, and I think our lives happily were rich enough that in the grand scheme of thing adoption was a was a small piece and again I, I i know i repeat myself but it's i i understand that that's not the case with with an awful lot of people yeah yeah i feel like i got connected or i'll say better connected with the community about 12 years ago like going mm-hmm. to conferences and just being at workshops and different kind of activities with other adoptees, like fellowshipping with members of the constellation. Sure. And, and so when did that begin for you? You know, it really began with the with the book, with the publication of the book. When I wrote the book, you know, I think anybody who writes a book says, okay, I've written it, how do I sell it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my first thought was, you know, it's, my mother was a very, very significant figure in the ice skating community. So the audience that will be out there will be ice skaters. And to a degree that was true, but then I realized that, okay, you know, this is, this is as much about me as it is about her. So I turned, you know, to social media and to the, to the various outlets that were talking about adoption. And that really is when I, I, I became more connected. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, it's it's been a a mixed experience. Some folks are are very accepting and very, and they embrace the story. They're pleased by it. There are others who, quite honestly, are you know, don't believe anybody could have such a good story. Mm. Yeah, because that was not their experience. Right. And you know, and I I regret that, but yeah, there there are an awful lot of folks out there who who've had positive adoption stories and I, I think are not represented by the, you know, by the social media support groups. And that was kind of an, it was naivety on my part is that people who are, who are satisfied with their place, don't go looking for support, mm. you know, so right, right. And, and I've told the story before, you know, when my book first came out, I, I went to our local bookstore to see if I couldn't 
cajole the the owner to putting a couple of copies on the shelf and and she was very gracious in doing so and she said you know i'm adopted mm. i said no <laughs> no kidding and yeah very proud of myself for having yeah gotten the book on the shelf i went across the street to a coffee shop had a conversation with a woman who i who i kind of casually known and as a matter of fact i just saw her before this morning and mentioned that well, I was just across the street and so and so said that yeah you know, she had placed a baby that she was adopted and she sort of shrugged her shoulder and said you know i when i was 16 i placed a child for adoption mm. now you know yeah. this these are people who are certainly deeply deeply touched by the adoption experience but per se are probably not what we would call members of the community right you know, because they're just they're just going on with their life, and again, their adoption experience has been a part of their life. But yeah, you know, they've not been; it's not been their their total identity. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the questions I've been asking lately of guests, because I think we're more we're so much more than adoptees. That's just a part of our identity. Mm-hmm. And so, what besides being an adoptee is a part of your identity and lived experience? Well, certainly, you know, it's it's being a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. We all talk about wanting to discover our lineage or to continue our lineage. And I don't think there's anything more significant than, you know, than being a parent or being a spouse. In my own way, I like to think that I'm a, I am an author. And yes. so, yes. you know, and I try not to be consumed by that. But I'm also, I think I'm also a, not an authority, but an advocate for for adoption, mm-hmm. and just or somebody who can at least be a a sounding board or a thought provider about what adoption is and what it means. I've been a triathlete. I've been a fisherman. I've been a, a number of things, but by and large, you know, it comes down to family, and it comes down to these past several years, you know, surrounded by the book and what I what I learned about adoption and about my own circumstances. Yeah. I want to go back to your website. Mm-hmm. Let me just say Deganji. Is that it's right? Deganji, yes. DeGangeAuthor.com. Correct. Okay. I just love the website. I really do. And one of the things I did notice were events on there. You have upcoming events. And if anybody's in the North Carolina area or near you, I want you to be sure and let them know what, what you're looking forward to. Yeah, I, I certainly, I love talking, you know, about the book and about my story and, you know, what can't be done face-to-face can certainly be done these days via via Skype or via Zoom, and I, you know, I'm pleased to do that. Mm-hmm. As I said yesterday, I met with a, a senior citizen group, which was very engaged with the movie I showed and with the story that I told, and and I've got, I've got more of those coming up, but I love book clubs i love ladies groups i you know i senior groups you know the, the book really resonates with with women probably later in life but i always say 45 and up mm-hmm. and and those are the women who i think can really really have a feel for you know for what my birth mother went through in the in the process of placing me for managing her pregnancy and then placing me for adoption right yeah, I saw that on there about book clubs. You're big on that. I, 
I like that. It's so well done, your website. And well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very inviting. It, yeah, it just piqued my curiosity. Oh yeah, like that would be that would be cool. That's an event coming up, and like you're just just really participating totally. That's yeah, cool. it's again. I like to I like to bring the story to life. Mm-hmm. So for people who have read your memoir, is there something you left out that in hindsight you would have included? You know, that's a great question. There are two thoughts I have, mm-hmm. and I don't know that they would have really been one more so than the other as far as being appropriate for the book. I would like to have said more about my adoptive mother okay. because she was she was a quite special person. And I think the... The other piece probably which deserves some discussion and and you hear about it almost not at all is the the impact of adoption on the adoptive father. Mm. There's just no discussion there. You know, and I I think it's as impactful there as it is on anybody else. I think it's a a disruption, you know, adoption is a disruption of of that life. And you know, I'm not sure that there's not some masculine ego which is compromised by having to or by reaching out to adopt a baby. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that that's something, you know, worthy of discussion in the future. I I think what what you may have seen in the book and and what I hope came through is the book as I started to trace my mother's travel, my birth mother's travels and and the events in her life became more and more a tribute to her than just a recounting of events and and places. I really came up with a, a profound appreciation of, of what a birth mother goes through to surrender a child. Mm. And I really had not given that thought before. And I, if I did, I, I probably looked at it from the standpoint of, this is an event you turn your child over and you go on with your life. But that, that experience of, of surrendering your child does not go away. You know, you can go on with your life, but that travels with you. I'm so glad you shared that because looking at your website, I, that's immediately what I felt. This is a tribute to his birth mom because she, she was an extraordinary woman. Yeah. That's not where this book started, but <laughs> it, it's where it ended up. It okay. was, uh, yeah. People always say, well, do you have any regrets, regrets you didn't start earlier? I, I really don't. My sole regret was my birth mother passed away three years before I began my search. And I so would have liked to have been able to meet her for the sole purpose of telling her, you know, you made a sacrifice and it was for the best. Anything you wanted or hoped for, you know, came back in spades. Mm. And unfortunately, that yeah, that that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry that didn't happen for you. And I, I, I too found graves maternal and paternal, and it is it is hard. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Now that you say that, when I found out that my birth mother was no longer alive, I you know I I knew where she had been living, so I reached out to all the cemeteries in the area. And said, do you have a record of her interment? And nobody did. Mm. And you know, so this was down in Georgia. So she had come from New York. I said, it's possible the, the remains were sent back there. And I checked all of the 
Catholic cemeteries around New York and know she wasn't there. And, and when I ultimately met my maternal half-brother, I very cautiously said, where was their mother buried? And he kind of quizzically looked at me and said, she wasn't. Mm. And I said, okay. Right. I, I said, what happened? He said, well, she was cremated. Okay, you know, where are the remains? You know, without batting an, an eyelash, he said, they were in my closet. Mm. And they were there along with his fathers who had passed away 20 years prior. And, you know, I think I can only guess that she chose not to inter the, the, her husband's remains because she wanted them done when she passed away. And by the time she passed away, my, my maternal half-brother was in an economic position where he couldn't afford to do that. So one of the great satisfactions out of this is that, you know, my wife and I found a, a local cemetery with a, with a columbarium, a place where you can put away the, you know, the, the remains of people who have been, uh, I was going to say, <laughs> that's a terrible word. But anyway, you know, so we, we had a service and it was lovely because we, we placed you know, both Genevieve, my mother and her, her husband's ashes into a into a sanctified place with the priest there to to perform the ceremony and that was a it was a wonderful piece of closure for me yeah i bet i'm glad you shared that yeah my birth mother did not have a stone at her grave site and mm-hmm. yeah and it was so satisfying to be able to do that within a year of yeah learning who she was yeah I just feel, you know, I'm, I'm not a big one for, for religious ceremonies and such, but I just feel everybody has the right for for some bit of closure. And I, I knew the type of family she had come from, you know, being buried with a priest there to do the service was, you know, I think what she would have wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were able to do that. Yes. So is there anything that you'd like to say that I haven't asked you about in closing? Well, you know, I, I just appreciate your show so much because I, I think the your guests for the most part have such a, a positive look at the adoption experience. And I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a great thing. You know, I was lucky enough to, to come to reunion with a maternal half brother quite by accident via a DNA test. Mm. I did discover who my father had been and I don't believe he ever knew that I existed. My, you know, my mother became unexpectedly pregnant and I don't think ever looked back when I got my birth certificate from New York city. It basically, basically showed the father is unknown. And I think if my mother didn't know, he certainly did not know. And yeah, there was just no, no reason there. The reunion part has been very, very rewarding. There's been both of the half brothers, and there's been a number of cousins on my mother's side who I've, who I've actually gotten fairly close with. We were recently down in South Carolina, had dinner with one and his his wife. In August, we're going up to Vermont, and we'll well, I spend the night with another one up there who who was the first one I talked to in the family and who had provided me with with pictures of my mother from from the time she was four years old and growing up. 
So, you know, wow. there's just a, there are a lot of generous people out there, yeah. terribly generous, terribly kind. And I think part of the part of the secret is go and expose yourself. You know, if you have questions, go and ask them. I didn't. <laughs> Not till it was almost too late. But start asking right now. And, oh, that's and take good. the risk. The exposure that I've had to the to the community and all of the various responses I've seen, I would I would tell adoptees to be kind to themselves mm-hmm. and be kind to others. You know, we we find ourselves where we do for for a reason and sometimes we don't know what that reason is or or don't fully understand it but it's don't punish yourself don't punish anyone else yeah i think i agree i think kindness goes a long way does it it does you know if it doesn't do it for somebody else don't yeah don't beat yourself up yeah you are no matter where you came from no matter how you got here you're still you that's good. Thank you, Edward. That's really good. And I want to thank you for listening to other episodes. Oh, they've been so rewarding. I heard Mary's episode today. It was probably from about three or three or four episodes back, and I thought that was great as well. Yeah. And all the time, I'm going to start tuning into her, her her Instagram posts. Yes, she's so good on there. Yeah, it sounds that way. And again, she sounds like she's just got such a such a level-headed approach to things yes she does have a very positive approach and there are a lot of adoptees that have been able to i say gain a perspective that is of service to them you know Mm -hmm. um, that that's helping them heal because we can we can frame it we can reframe it and keep reframing it in a way that is helpful to us and not harmful Sure. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, life is a messy thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, is it, it takes is. some work sometimes. Well, I just appreciate this time with you. And thank you so much for having the conversation. I really appreciate well, I appreciate it. Your, I appreciate your inviting me to have it with you. Thank you, Jennifer. Oh, yes. You're welcome. Edward's perspective on his life in review is one of understanding and appreciation on so many levels. One of the things I deeply embrace is receiving the gift of life, no matter all the complexities that come with it. Edward and I agree on framing our journeys in a way that empowers us while holding space for the sorrows that come along with having many questions answered along the way of discovery. I fancy the parts of our conversation when Edward clearly is proud of what he learned about his birth mom. He honors her in ways that I have yet to hear another adoptee do quite like he does. Something about that makes me smile. I believe that many parents who relinquish a child to adoption did not make the decision easily and without great heartache. When adoptees are able to have acceptance that a birth mom has her own set of hard circumstances to reconcile when she finds herself pregnant, it suggests that we extend grace for their humanity. I sense that Edward did just that when he discovered more to his story. Thank you, Edward, for listening to my podcast. Your willingness to join the adoptee movement at such a time as this 
and having this conversation with me. I'm happy you wrote and published your memoir and that the entire adoption community stands to benefit from your words. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit jenniferdianegoston.com. Thank you for being here, and please check out my website for other episodes. Once upon a time in adopteeland.com.